This passage begins with a very interesting statement. It says, the end of all things is near. And uh, this is referring, of course, to what Christians call the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is a time when Jesus Christ returns to earth and takes all of his followers to heaven with him. A few verses before this, Peter speaks about sinful living. And then he adds, there's a beginning and an end to time. And we will all have to give an account to God for our lives. And he says that God is the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead in his final judgment. Jesus will return one day. He's coming back to earth to restore all things to his original intent and to set up his heavenly kingdom. Now, I know just talking about future things and eschatology and Bible prophecy, it can get pretty confusing. I had a professor when I was in seminary who said, when it comes to eschatology, when it comes to Bible prophecy, read the headlines, not the fine print. Um, and maybe that's a helpful thing for you. And when we do that, we know Christ is going to return. We don't know exactly when or where or how, but we know that he's going to return. And those are the things that we need to hold on to. But when Peter uses this phrase, the end of all things is near, I think what he meant by this is that according to God's timetable in the Bible, all that has to happen before Jesus returns has happened. And his return could be imminent. It could be immediate. It could be at any, any time. In fact, Jesus could return right now. He didn't. Some of you are a little disappointed with that, aren't you? But Jesus could return right now. He could return right now. He could return before I finish this message, and wouldn't that be a good thing? <laughs> you know, he could he could return at any time, and we need to be prepared for that. Um, if this was true about 1950 years ago when this passage was written by Peter, how much more true this is today? Just do the math. Many Bible scholars feel that time is winding down and very quickly now Jesus could possibly return in our lifetime. I don't know if that's true. We again cannot predict it. I sure hope he comes in my lifetime. Um, I hope he returns as soon as possible. The Bible is very clear that no one knows the day or the hour, but there are signs that indicate that we might be closer than we ever have been. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus lists several things that indicate his return is near. And most of these things are corroborated with Old Testament texts and the book of Revelation and other prophetic passages. But you've got things indicating um, in Matthew 24, uh, such as deception by false teachers. That's something that will be happening before Christ returns. Or wars and rumors of wars. Just stop and think about that for a moment. Uh, Any time you turn on the news these days, there's some report about a war going on someplace or another one that's about to start. We just can't seem to get rid of those things, can we? Um, there's also natural disasters, famines and earthquakes that's referred to in Matthew 24 as Jesus gives the signs of the times, to look things to look for. And I wonder about this natural disasters. Even on on the way here this morning, um, uh, the uh, the broadcasters were talking about global warming. It just seems that it's always on the news in some way, shape, or form. And I don't know if there are more natural disasters happening now 
or whether it's just because we have the weather station and we can watch all of the reports. But does it seem to you that there's more natural disasters that are happening now than any ever before in your lifetime? It certainly seems that way to me, and that's an indicator that Christ could be returning soon. You've also got the persecution of Christians listed there in Matthew 24, 9. And although we've got great freedoms in Canada, do you know that there's more Christians being persecuted for their faith now than any other time in human history in other parts of the world? We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in that regard. And likewise, Jesus talks about Christians falling away from their faith, those that might be going through hard times and throwing in the towel and saying, I'm going to leave the faith. And when you look at most denominations in this this country, our country, most are either plateaued or in a a period of decline. Um, I wish I could give you better reports for the AGC. We're kind of steady. We're, we're holding our own in some ways. And some of our people are saying, that's great. At least we're, we're doing a little bit better than some of our brothers and sisters in other associations. But I'm still deeply concerned about that, particularly our conversion growth rates. The average church sees, average church of about 100 people sees one or two people a year become Christians as a result of their ministry. Now we, we, we praise God for those one or two people, but as a bit of a strategist and a, a leader, I, I just think that's not good enough. Um, are any of you competitive? A um, few of you are competitive. Like, I'm competitive. I don't like to lose. I don't like to be on a losing team, you know, and I know we're going to win. I know at the end of the day, you know, we will win because Christ already has won, Right. But I, I sure want to see us do better in so many of these ways. One of our churches, uh, one of our larger churches that has about 2,000 people in it, uh, Crothers Creek out in Ajax area, they have baptized, in the last five years, they have baptized 400 people. Um, God is just doing a real mighty work there. But for most of our congregations, it's one or two people here and there. And I think we, I think we need to do better. I think we can do better. But I digress. That's just, I'm sorry, I had my superintendent's hat on there for a moment. I'll take that off and get back to the text here. Uh, you got Christians falling away from their faith. And the other thing that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, 14 is the gospel being proclaimed worldwide. Now, um, I'm getting up there in years. Um, I remember when no one had cell phones. Some of you kids can't even remember when you didn't have cell phones. You know, you thought they were always here. But... Uh, I remember reading that passage as a young person thinking, how in the world could the gospel be proclaimed worldwide? How could everybody hear the gospel? And then all of a sudden this thing called the internet came around and every kid in the world's got some cell phone and can access any information they need to, you know. And all of a sudden you see the world poised to actually hear or read or watch a YouTube video (laughs) about Jesus Christ. So the world can be informed now, uh, unlike any other time in human history. Now, then, when this passage was written, as now, people thought that if Christ's return was imminent, then maybe they better sell all their possessions, get to a mountaintop, get a front row seat, just sit there and wait for the Lord to return. Get your lawn chair out, you know, and your, your Diet Coke, and, and just wait. But Peter actually gives the opposite advice. He says, because the end is in sight... It really is time to get busy, not to give up. 
Not to put your feet up, but get your feet on the pavement and get out there and do some things for the Lord. Now, whether our time draws to a close because Jesus returns or whether our time draws to a close because of natural illness or accident, it is critically important, I think you would agree, that each one of us makes the best use of our time possible. Don't you agree? Um, This is kind of what Peter is getting at here. We are only given one life, and we are accountable for how we use that life. And therefore, we need to be using it in the most effective way possible. I ask you this question as I ask myself right now. How are you investing your time? How are you using your time? Are you making the best use of your time? Are you being a good steward of the one and only life that Jesus Christ has given to you? As someone said, you've probably heard this phrase before, we are to live as if Christ was returning tomorrow, but plan as if he wasn't coming back for another 20 or 30 years. In either way, time is running out and life is short, so how are we going to invest our time and be good stewards? Fortunately, Peter gives us some advice here from this text. And the first thing he says here is to become prayerfully focused. Be prayerfully focused. He says, life is too short to be foggy and confused. And it's important for us to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can pray, he says in verse 7. Do you see that in the text? Be clear-minded. The end is near. So be clear-minded Be self-controlled so that you can pray, so that you can be prayerfully focused. And what a shame it would be for any of us to drift through life in a foggy haze. Yet so many of us do, don't we? We get involved in these trivial pursuits, things that don't really matter that much. You know, and some of us uh, get up early and get ready to go to work and we kind of do that on autopilot and we cruise through the day doing the same old things in the same old ways and we come home and we watch the same TV shows and then we put on Peter Mansbridge and fall asleep during the news and then crawl into bed and then we repeat the whole thing all over again the next day. Um, Peter here is telling us that life is... Too short just to be on autopilot and just going through the motions. Life is too short to be foggy and confused. It is time for each one of us to be very clear-minded, very self-controlled, so that we can pray and be in touch with who God is, what He's like, and what God is doing in this world. And aren't those wonderful sound bites? I love Bible terms here. Be clear-minded. Isn't that a great phrase? Now, a phrase you would like to be characteristic of your life, to be clear. That that woman there is very clear-minded or self-controlled. And I wonder what it would take for you and I to have a little bit more clarity in our lives. You know, as I reflect on this passage, I see a few ways in which we can become, or at least I can become, foggy and unclear. But as I look at the Christian community as well, I I see there are a number of ways. You know, I, I see that some people are very unclear and foggy in their belief. Um, they're not quite clear about what they believe and why. And I think our Canadian culture intensifies this problem by praising tolerance and criticizing spiritual conviction and doctrinal precision. And a lot of Christians tend to sit on the fence and never really clarify 
what they believe. And, and that's true of Canadians because we, we like to sit on the fence, don't we? We're the peacekeepers of this world. We never take sides, you know. Ask a typical Canadian, what's your favorite color? And they say, plaid. You know, like we like to leave all the options open, you know. Um, but some people are, are foggy about what they truly believe. Uh, some are foggy and unclear about any kind of spiritual discipline. You know, we begin our relationship with Christ and then we never really grow beyond that. And we our testimony is just of what God did 30 years ago, but nothing current in that way. Some of us are foggy and unclear about our purpose in life and, and how God's wired us and what he wants us to do. You know, Nikki Gumbel asked that question, why are you here on earth? You know, what on earth are you doing here? You know, why are you here? Each one of us has a purpose. God has given us a purpose and he wants us to engage with this. What role does God want you to play in the kingdom of God? And these are foundational questions every serious Christian needs to prayerfully consider. And if we are clear-minded and self-controlled, and if we are praying, I think God can blow away the fog and help us order our lives around His kingdom values. And maybe we need to be prayerfully developing a personal mission statement or a strategic plan of some sort, or maybe we need to take a retreat. The young people do that all the time, right? You're doing two this year. That's that's great. Um, young people do that. Why don't we do that as adults as well? I have a friend who uh, took uh, one day a week and one day uh, a month, a full day away every month just to think through his purpose in life and what he was doing and whether he was making the best use of his time. Um, you know, something I've tried to practice in my life is to prayerfully ask God the next step question. If you're taking notes, write that down. Next steps. You know, Lord, what is the next step you want me to take in my relationship with you? Lord, what is the next step you want me to take in my relationship with my spouse? Your spouse can tell you that next step quite clearly. They, they've probably been thinking about that for, for weeks. You know, I wish you would do this or that. But Or what is the next step, Lord, you want me to take in terms of my family? What are the next steps you want me to take in terms of my church? What's something you might be calling me to? What are the next steps you want me to take with the people I live beside and the people I work with? Lord, what are those next steps? And and as we spend time being clear-minded and self-controlled and praying, God can bring clarity and purpose to our lives in that way. Peter says, life is too short to stay in the fog. Get clear and pray. But he says something else here, which is quite interesting. He says, love each other deeply. Life is too short to hold on to bitterness and unresolved conflict. It is a time... To love each other deeply. What a shame it would be if Christ returned and we had all sorts of unresolved issues with all sorts of people uh, that were occupying our mind and rendering us kind of uh, impotent in terms of our ministry. Peter says, and look at verse 8 there very clearly, he says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a what? A multitude of sins. Isn't that an interesting word, multitude? We don't use that word often, do we? 
I picked up a multitude of groceries the other day. You know, like we don't use that term, but say it. It's kind of a fun word to say. Say it. Multitude. It's one of those words that kind of fills your mouth, you know, kind of thing. What does it mean? What does multitude mean? Yeah, an awful lot, right? An awful lot. Peter says, the end of all things is near, so really work hard at loving one another in the body of Christ because love covers up a lot of bad stuff that's going on there. It doesn't sweep it under the carpet, so to speak, but it holds it in check so that so that bad stuff does not get the upper hand in this way. Now, is there anyone here who has anyone in their life that really ticks them off? <laughs> okay, if I ask for a show of hands, probably all of us should have our hand up if we're being honest. If not, we can book a counseling session with a trusted therapist and you can work through your issues of denial. But, uh, you know, there, there are often people that really tick us off and we have to process that. Uh, and often we hold grudges and sometimes in a church we hold grudges for years and maybe we partially deal with the issue, but never fully deal with the issue. And we find that holding on to grudges rob us of the vitality of effective Christian living. And, and probably you know people who have held a grudge for years, right? And do they become better or bitter? Yeah, they become bitter. And none of us really want that. Peter argues here that life is too short. The end of all things is near, so so be clear-minded, but also love one another deeply. Like, work hard at loving relationships because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I love my family. I have a lovely wife. I have four children, uh, a few outlaws in there as well. Um, and I, I love my family. But my family makes an awful lot of mistakes, some more than others. And I'm probably leading the way in in that category. I make a lot of mistakes every day. I I do stupid things. Is there anybody else like me or am I the only one? You know, thank you, sir. I feel so much more at home now, you know. But I'm always saying things I shouldn't or not saying things I should or not doing the right things, you know, that kind of thing. And if we work really hard at creating a loving, caring environment in our home, work really hard at that, it doesn't turn a blind eye to those things, but it smooths it over, doesn't it? And we hang in there over the long haul with people because we really do love them. And, you know, there's times for confrontation and those kinds of things, but but working hard at creating a spirit of love in the family helps smooth over a lot of things. And likewise with the body of Christ, with this church. Uh, with every church, there's conflict. It comes with the territory. And it's important for us to deal with these kinds of things. Um, do, you, um, do you have a couple of difficult people in your life, maybe right now? I know hypothetically we... We talk about, oh, yes, so in the past I've been ticked off by somebody. But, you know, is there someone in your life maybe right now that you you might be struggling with a little bit? Um, You know, time is going quickly here. 
And, uh, you know, maybe it's an opportunity for us to say, you know, I want to, I want to resolve some of this stuff once and for all. And, and maybe even this afternoon, I'm going to pick up the phone and say, you know what? I've just been feeling out of sorts in terms of our relationship. I, you know, if I've done anything to offend you, I just really want to apologize for that and, and hope that we can move forward by God's grace. I think these kinds of things are important because uh, of a number of reasons. First of all, God commands this. You've heard of the Ten Commandments, but there's an Eleventh Commandment as well, right? Do you know where that's found in John 13:34, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you. And what's the commandment? That you love one another. How? As I've loved you, so you must love one another. How has Christ loved us? Boy, that's worthy of reflection there. We need to love others because really loving others is a reflection of our discipleship, of our following of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If I have anger and bitterness in my heart towards someone, I've got to do a serious heart check. Because the effectiveness of my personal discipleship is on the line here. But we also need to love other people because the alternative is deadly for both them and us. If we don't love others and forgive others, we carry around bitterness in our hearts and it robs us of joyful living. Life is too short to carry grudges. Amen? You with me? Are you still awake? Are you thinking about Swiss Chalet? Okay, good. Someone once said, be kind to everyone you meet, because everyone you meet is fighting a significant battle in life. You might not know the details of it, so be kind to everyone you meet. Some of those people who really tick you off need you to love them deeply. In 1 Corinthians 13, as you know, Paul is talking about some of the greatest things of faith, hope, and love. But then he says, faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these things is love. And this is to be our calling card as Christians. Um, Peter goes on and he says also to be hospitable. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, life is too short to be independent, so be hospitable. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. In ours, is a very individualized society. We as Canadians are very private and self-conscious. And uh, although I like quietness and solitude as much as the next guy, I'm realizing that people are what bring the greatest joy in life. And some of my most memorable experiences in life are laughing with family and friends. Have you ever had those times? With some of your buddies and your girlfriends, you know, and you're, and you're just laughing hysterically, wiping away the tears. And aren't they good times? Aren't they? Yeah, just so wonderful. Interdependence is a much preferable way to live than independence. And as human beings, in particular the body of Christ, we're called to live together in community. And Peter understood the need we have for each other and encourages us to be hospitable with anyone in need because people are a priority to God. 
And he's challenging us to connect with people, spend time with people, to have people over to our homes for food and friendship and conversation. And I understand that you're doing something like that soon, aren't you? It's kind of a guess who's coming over for a visit. Are you a little worried about that? <laughs> I think it's a great thing. Dan was telling me about that earlier and this week, and I just think it's a great thing that you're doing that. You're following what Scripture is saying. And this is so critically important in a time when you don't have a senior pastor in place, that you are actually caring for one another in this way. But you notice the phrase that Peter put in here specifically for Canadians? You see it there? Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, okay? You know, sometimes as Canadians, we, uh, we're very self-conscious, overly concerned about what people think, and if our home is not neat and tidy, if our refrigerator isn't full, you know, we're reluctant to have anybody come over. We wouldn't even think of inviting somebody because, my goodness, I haven't vacuumed in two days, you know, that kind of thing. I heard the story of one woman who was a neat freak, kind of the Martha Stewart type, you know. And uh, one Saturday, she decided to read instead of cleaning the house as she normally would. The house was a mess. It was a disaster. And wouldn't you know it, on that day, the doorbell rings and there's a lady from the church. And uh, the woman kind of reluctantly invited her in and she kind of put her arm in the kitchen table and just pushed all the dishes to one side, you know, and found a, a mug that wasn't too dirty, you know, and they they had some tea together in that way. Um, and as the lady left about an hour later after a wonderful conversation, she said to the Martha Stewart type, she said, you know, I, I always pegged you as this uh, this uptight neat freak. And I thought, there's no way I could relate to you. Um, I know you wouldn't want to be my friend because I'm kind of a slob. But the woman said, you know, but being here today shows me that you're a real slob just like me. And, and I feel so comfortable here. And believe it or not, that was the beginning of a great friendship that the two of them had where they realized that stuff doesn't matter. You know, the, the atmosphere doesn't matter. Just getting together with one another without grumbling is a good thing that Peter tells us here. You know, at the end of our lives, what will matter to us is the people we've connected with and the good, solid relationships that we have built. And that's why Peter says life's too short to be independent and private. Invest your life in friendship building. But then he says also in verse 10, look at that, he says, serve other people. He says, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others. I love this phrase here. I wish I could preach just on this phrase here. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. For some of you who want to go deeper today, you can you can reflect on that phrase there. What does it mean to faithfully administer God's grace in its various forms? What does that mean for me? You know, ironically, we sometimes feel that the, the way to be fulfilled is to look out for number one and we, we get caught up in doing things that just benefit us. And again, the irony is after years of living this way, we, we feel a sense of emptiness inside. Looking out for number one is not the key to fulfillment. And Peter reminds us here that life is too short to be self-centered. Let's serve other people. Serve them faithfully. 
God has given every person here special spiritual gifts and abilities and talents and passion. It is no accident that he has brought you to this place to function in community with one another. If there's a deficiency in one area, God's going to bring somebody to you to, to meet that need. But are you playing your role? You have all heard of the 80-20 principle. What does that mean? Somebody tell me what the 80-20 principle means. Yep. Yep. It, that, it's an intro, it's called the Pareto principle actually. He's the guy who popularized it, but yeah, 80, 20% of the people give 80% of the resources, 20% of the people do, you know, 80% of the work. It just seems to naturally be that we got a lot of people that just come along for the ride, right? And, and I don't think that that's God honoring. I think everybody needs to know how they're wired, how God has gifted them, what passionary they have, and they need to aggressively and enthusiastically be involved in serving in their local church and in their community. And by the way, can I just make it this comment? This, this is for free. I often talk about in-house and out-house ministry. And I know that's a little derogatory. But most of, of the time when we think about faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms and serving, most of the time we think about just the body of Christ. So we teach people to do more church stuff. When in reality, I think God is calling us out to the harvest fields and we need to be out there serving as well so that people in our community feel that that church is one of our community's greatest assets. We love those folks. They're always serving us. All the time. When I was church planting in Markham, there was the local hospital fundraising 5K run. And you, you know when it was always scheduled? What day? Sunday morning, 10 to 12. So because we're a church plant, we had a little bit more freedom. Um, so we said, we're going to cancel our Sunday morning service. And we're going to volunteer for that event. Now, we didn't get everybody, but we got 60 people, 60 plus people who wanted to volunteer for that event. So we just put a sign on the door saying we're all over at the hospital for the 5K run. Come on over and join us <laughs> and, or come back next week. You know, we'll be meeting again. They I say this in humility. They loved us. Uh, we comprised half of the volunteer force to run that event in Markham. And, uh, and allowed the hospital to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. We put aside our agenda so that we could serve out there. And uh, then after several years, they canceled the run and they're start, starting to do some other things, you know. So we, we were off the hook and can get back to our Sunday thing, you know. But you understand what I'm saying? Let's just not think about in-house things. Let's think about ministries that are out there as well. Um, Peter implies here that regardless of what gift you have, serve how? What does he say? As if you're serving God. So that God is the one who gets the glory and gets a recognition. Have you ever heard the phrase, riding the pine pony? Any of you hockey players out there? Kind of means sitting on the bench, right? Sitting on the bench. Um, there's a church in Oakville that annually 
has a service they call Purge Sunday. And they say to people in the congregation, if you're not doing anything, an active ministry in and through this congregation, if you're not doing anything and you've been here for over a year, could you please leave and make room for somebody else to come in? Now, some of you are thinking, how audacious is that? In fact, audacity is one of their core values, because they, which means kind of in your face, because Jesus was really in your face, wasn't he? So they don't, they don't mind being in, in a person's face. What, what normally happens is there are a number of people who leave. They think, well, if that's the way they feel, I'm going to go. And they, they go and sit somewhere else for years, you know. But what it does is that for most people is they say, you know, I do need to get involved. And they're trying to, to reverse it that 80% of the people are engaged in ministries, you know. I think that's pretty neat. Now, Wayne, I'm not suggesting you have to have a purge Sunday here, but, um, <clears throat> But you get the point. Well, what do you sense that God might be saying to you today from this part of the Bible? Because it is important that we understand the Word of God and then apply it here. Uh, You know, maybe this is a reminder to realize that we just need to maximize the days that we have left. Last night, we had uh, some company over to celebrate the birthdays of Joan and Andy, who just turned 60, our neighbors, two doors down. So we invited a bunch of people over. And, uh, uh, you know, as we're all sitting around there, we, we, now they're, they just turned 60. I'm, I'm a long way from 60. Okay, I'm four and a half months away from 60, you know, kind of thing. Um, I'm still 59 right now. But, but all of us thought, you know, we should change these get-togethers into luncheons. You know, so we can all get home and get to bed, you know, in time kind of thing instead of, cause we're all just kind of fading away, you know, by 10 o'clock at night. But, uh, but, you know, as, as time marches on, we realize, uh, you know, we, we do need to maximize the years that God gives us and live them to the fullest in this way. You know, Christ could return at any moment and we want to be found busy for the kingdom of God in this way. So what is God maybe saying to you? Maybe he's saying to be prayerfully focused. Maybe you need to be prayerfully focused. Maybe you are sensing God is wanting you to get more clarity in your belief, in your purpose in life, in his direction. Life is too short to remain in the fog. Maybe you're, you're thinking, God might be saying to me, I, you really need to, to love others in a, in a better way than you have been. Uh, maybe you sense God is saying, there's a grudge that you've been bearing for a while and I would really like you to resolve that conflict. Um, maybe you're saying, I think God might be encouraging me to pick up the phone even this afternoon. And just get that ball rolling and, uh, and resolve that. Life's too short to hold on to bitterness. Or, or maybe hospitality. <clears throat> maybe some of you need to invite me over for dinner tonight. No, don't, you don't need to do that. <clears throat> but, uh, but maybe you do need to just invite somebody over. Or get involved in that project that you're doing, uh, in the, the upcoming days. Um, you know, often in a church we wait for someone else to invite us over. And then we, we complain that nobody's friendly in the church because nobody's invited us over. You take the initiative to do it. Maybe that's what God is saying to you in this passage. Be hospitable and do it without grumbling. 
just get involved in people's lives in that way. Or maybe serving others. Maybe you hear God challenging you to get involved in some kind of service to others. Tyler, you're talking about youth workers and how they're they're faithfully come out before a half hour before meetings. Way to go. You know, and they stay afterwards and they're working hard. Could you use some help in the youth ministry? In fact, if you really want to grow, the best ministry in the church to do is to work with junior high kids. I mean, if you work with them, you will grow leaps and bounds. And there is a biblical basis for that, for junior high ministry. In Mark chapter 1, it says Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days with the wild beasts. You know, so that's... that's uh... <laughs> but maybe you're, you're thinking, hey, maybe they could use an old guy like me in the youth ministry. One of our, I was a youth pastor for 12 years. One of our most effective youth workers was a 67-year-old man, single guy, um, who played this grandfatherly role for all of these uh, these students. They loved him to bits. Um, and I remember him saying, I, I'm not cool. <laughs> you know, I lost that years ago, but I love kids and can I serve? And he just, just did a wonderful job for the Lord in that regard. Uh, maybe... God wants you to make meals for people or invite some of single people over for a home-cooked meal. Life is too short to be self-centered. Can I just encourage you as we wrap up here today, and I'm sorry, I think I've gone a little long, although, Dan, I didn't, I don't think I ever asked you how long I was supposed to preach today, but, but, um, I got about another 45 minutes. Is that okay? So, no. Whatever you hear God saying from this passage of Scripture, can I encourage you to act on it? It's not rocket science, is it? You don't have to have a PhD in biblical studies to understand this. It's quite simple. But can I urge you to do this because time does fly. Or Jesus may return at any moment. So let's encourage each other to make the most of the time we have and live on purpose. I think we've got another song that we're going to sing, but as they're making their way to the front here, let me just read this passage for you again. Again, Peter says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If someone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Why? So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Read this last line with me, please. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.